0: What are some things that you enjoy hearing? I love you, not bad. If you've been trying for a child, you're pregnant, that's pretty nice. You're hired, that's great. You got an A, wonderful. If you're getting married, for the other person to say, I do, I was worried, oh good, (laughs) right? What's the number one thing we like to say? And this is not spiritual, I'm saying purely carnal, what's the number one thing we like to say? I told you so. Right? I told you so. Throughout history, there's been some great I told you so's. The one I'm going to talk about was 120 years in the making. So about 120 years ago, Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. Right? Miracle. Miracle. Well, he had this fantastic invention, but he needed to make some money on it. So he started to shop it around to some people like, hey, this is a great invention, buy it. So he went to what was called the Royal Society of London. And what they did is they would run messages all over the whole entire area of London. And they had these boys that they would scribble out a message, they'd hand the message to the boy, the boy would run over somewhere and give, deliver the message. So Graham's like, this, this is gonna save him all kinds of time, this is wonderful, they'll wanna buy it. Their answer was, we have enough boys, we don't need that thing, all right? So then he goes to the Western Union Telegraph Company. And they sent, you know, click, 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 telegraphs all over the place. He's like, hey, I got this device, you can talk to somebody on this thing called the phone. This was their answer. They said, why would anyone want to talk on the phone when you could send a text? Yep, they got it, man. Took 120 years. Well, I told you so. (laughs) All right. What does that have to do with Genesis 5? Genesis 5 is a gigantic God saying to humanity, I told you so. I told you so. So we'll go through it. See if you can pick out the I told you so. Genesis chapter 5. Verse one. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. You and I are called the Imago Dei, it's the Latin. It's we are the very image of God. Who was Genesis written to? A bunch of mud, brick, baking slaves to a genocidal maniac named Pharaoh who believed he was the very image of God, right? So what's being said right here? Pharaoh is not the image of God. You mud, brick, baking slaves, all of you are my image bearers. What makes humans the Imago Dei? Is it that we have souls? It's the word nefesh in the Hebrew. Nope, because animals are also said to have a nefesh. Is it our brain power? Is it how smart we are? Well, animals are pretty amazing, aren't they? Do you know the Arctic tern has an annual migration of 44,000 miles? No GPS, no maps, makes it exactly where it wants to go. Like the most amazing thing in history is the male Arctic tern makes it 44,000 miles without asking for directions and does not get lost. The monarch butterfly, did you know this? makes a migration from the middle of Mexico to Canada, but it takes four generations to do it. So generation one travels about a thousand miles, lays eggs, dies. Those eggs hatch, they become caterpillars, they eat a bunch of leaves, they make a cocoon, they become a butterfly, they pick up exactly where generation one died and then they make the next thousand miles. How in the world do they even know where they're at, right? They don't have a home, like, it's unbelievable. Then that generation dies. They lay their eggs, the next ones, caterpillars, cocoons, they, and they pick up exactly where generation two did, they make the next leg. Isn't that unbelievable? Like that's how scientists to this day are clueless on how monarch butterflies an insect makes a 4,000 mile journey in four generations. It's just unbelievable. So is it intellect? Is it how smart you are? You have, to be, you have to be very careful on that because what happens to somebody that's mentally handicapped? Or are, are, do we need an IQ test for someone to be an image bearer of God? Peter Singer of Harvard University would say, yeah, that parents should have one month to decide whether they want to keep a handicapped child or not. No, it's none of those things. Every human is an image bearer of God because it is a status given to you. It's like royalty, you're born with it, period. Nothing else matters. You were born as an image bearer of God. And because of that, every human is worthy of value and dignity and worth. It is this right here that changed civilization. You may not know that, but it is the fact that God says every human is my image bearer that changed civilization. Most of human civilization, might was right. If you could do it, then do it. That's not the truth anymore, is it? We have what's called basic human rights. Basic human rights come from this idea right here, come directly from Genesis, that every human, no matter intellect, no matter age, is worthy of dignity and respect. It's amazing. So Adam, born in the likeness of God, Verse two, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Hate speech. Uh Uh-oh, YouTube's gonna cancel us because I just said there's two genders. There are two genders with lots of personalities. And there's all kinds of confusion about that. And I know the whole DNA argument about it. I get it, double X, double Y, I get it. It's about one in 2,000 at the most, right? And DNA tests can figure that one out really quick. It's two genders, lots of different personalities. Well, Matt, can't just adults go and find their own truth? There's no own truth. Either there is truth or there is not truth. That's it this whole idea about finding your own truth is a product of relativism. And once you go down that road, man, there's nothing left. There's nothing left, there's no concrete, there's nothing left. And this whole thing about the transgender movement, to me, it's being fueled by three things. Number one, there's this gal named Kira Bell. You can Google her. She brought down the whole transgender thing in the UK. Because as a child, she was diagnosed with transgenderism. She was sterilized, given puberty blockers, you know, mutilated, all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, she's 20 going, what just happened to me? And she de-transitioned the other way, but she grows a full beard. She's got a five o'clock shadow. And she's got the ramifications of things that were done to her as a child. And so she just began to speak out about this. This is nuts. What are we doing Place was, was called Travis Stock, that just man, it was money. That's what it was. They were making money off children. So she stopped. It actually got a law passed in the UK that now limits it. You can't do that anymore to kids because of Kira Bell. So amazing lady. Yeah, you can Google her. Check her out. So I read this interview with her, and I have it up above right here. You can read it at the same time I read it. And it was an interview. Okay, what, what, do, you, what do we do going forward? So this was the question to Kira Bell. What would you say to a girl or a young woman who is questioning her sex and feels that going down a path of medicalization, the spelling is from the UK, so it's different spelling. Medicalization might be the only solution to her dysphoria, Kira Bell. Quote, I would feel wrong to do anything but discourage it the environment over the past 10 years has changed so drastically. Nowadays, everyone is being asked left, right, and center, quote, what are your pronouns or what's your gender? I would encourage that girl or that young woman to really limit her time on social media, to go out into nature, and most importantly, think for yourself. In my opinion, the further you can get away from self centeredness, the better. Brilliant. I've dealt with two young ladies in the past 18 months. Both of them said they were transgender. Talking with them, exploring like what what, what happened to you? Both of them through the phone. One was an app and this young lady was uh, just slightly on the spectrum and the app was given to her at school. And it was, I answer these questions to find out what gender you are. She answers the questions and it said, you're a boy. And so from that point on, she had in her head fixated, I'm a boy. The other one was tons of times on social media. And she just said, it took me down a rabbit hole. Right? This gender dysphoria, it's being fueled in young people by, by the internet, by phones, by social media. Carabelle, get off of it, unhook for it. Think for a while, go out into the wilderness, go out into nature, get your eyes off yourself. The Bible would say, deny yourself. It's not about you, right? So that's number one. Number fuel, two fuel is this. So anyone watched the movie, The Matrix? Okay, big movie, Wachowski brothers made it. They are now the Wachowski sisters, if you're not following them, but very interesting. So one of the Wachowskis, was interviewed, what made you at an older age decide that you are transgender? And you can Google this and find this. It it was fascinating to me. You know, ask Wachowski, what made you do this? And I quote, I was watching trans porn and something unlocked in my brain. And I decided I want to be transgender. What's fueling this? A lot of it's pornography that the fetishes and just the weirdness that can happen in the human brain gets amplified through pornography. I can't tell you the number of men I have sat with in that room over there that have gone down horrendous roads that they never imagined they could go down the road and we keep tracking back, why pornography? Oh, puts these things in men's heads that, uh uh-oh, look out where that takes you, that gets dark in a hurry. Sexual sin never stays still, do you know that? how John the Baptist loses his head? Cute little girl dances for King Herod. King Herod's like, man, I'll give you half my kingdom. woo I want John the Baptist's head. Should have been like, hey, sorry, man, I can't do that. No, I'm gonna kill a guy because a naked little girl told me to. Sexual sin never stays still. It gets worse and worse and worse and pornography is fueling something right now. Right? Look out for that. And then number three, It's just the breakdown of the family. Kids used to be protected and kids used to be known. Kids used to have like, they're being exposed and hurt and groomed and they're innocent, stolen. It just goes on and on and on. So I read this article this morning, just happened to read it. So this is the article. You can find it if you want to. It's on WashingtonStand.com. Is it up there? That right there. So really bad science. So it's a whole bunch of like, there's a, all this kind of information in it, but I just I grabbed one little part of it that I wanna read to you. In this whole article, you can Google it, get it your own. Here's the part, you can put that slide up. Quote, a review of 75 studies on abuse among people who identify with the LGBT community found up to three out of four lesbians and 59% of men who have sex with men reported childhood sex abuse. Sexual molestation victims often say their abuse informed their later sexual practices. A 2001 study found men who have sex with men were 657% more likely, and lesbians were 2,200% more likely to have been molested as children rather than their heterosexual companions. It's the breakdown of the nuclear family. These things are fueling what we're seeing. This isn't just, oh, happening out of nowhere. This has this gasoline being poured on it in these ways right here. Be careful of them. If you have children, monitor what they're on. If you're struggling with pornography, we have four, two, three, a group of men. There's one for ladies too. They get together and they walk with you and they help you walk out of that one. That one is destructive. If you're married, love your spouse and love your kids. That's how we maintain these things, right? And what I just said, today is hate speech. As crazy as that is, it's hate speech, but it's in the Bible and it's right and it's true. Number three, verse three. When Adam had lived 130 years, that's a long time. He fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. Did you notice something right there? Whenever the Bible repeats the same thing in different languages, like, or different words like that, you know what that is assigned to you as a Bible student? Pay attention, because the Bible doesn't waste words. So what did it just say there? Adam had a son, after his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. What just changed? You're going to have babies that are going to be sinners. That's what just changed. That's what just changed right here. You're going to have these kids that are bad photocopies of bad photocopies of bad photocopies. Have you seen that in your own kids? Man, he's a lot like me, Uh uh-oh. I remember the first time I saw that in my son Elijah. He was three years old and we had these baby ducks and Elijah was taking swim lessons at the time. So these baby ducks didn't have a mom. So he was like, how are the ducks gonna learn to swim, right? They don't have someone to help them learn to swim. How how are they gonna learn to swim? I said, it's an amazing thing. There's a saying, like a duck to water, watch this. So at six weeks or seven weeks old, we took these little baby ducks down to our pond. We let them go by the pond and they just jumped in and they're swimming all over the place. Just the cutest thing in the world. But while we're standing there, we had these goats and these two goats came and they stood right next to us and they're watching the ducks play. And I'm looking at the goats and Elijah's looking at the goats. And Elijah looked at me and goes, can we push one of the goats in? (laughs) What was really crazy was I was thinking the same thing right when he said it. I'm like, oh no, he's me. Your kids, your kids are gonna be just like you. And it's gonna take work now because they're bad photocopies, bad photocopies. It's gonna take work now to fill in the missing lines to add some contrast to it from now on, to raise them godly, it's gonna take hard work. That you and I, when we become parents, it's the best thing in the world. It's the best of times and it's the worst of times. You gotta gear up because we've got a culture now, especially today, that wants to wipe them out. So man, get ready. And then you have this refrain that's repeated over and over. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And skip down a little bit. Verse 8. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Right? And Enoch lived and he fathered Kenan 850 years and he had other sons and daughters. And then Kenan, verse 13, Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel, the first Hawaiian. <laughs> right, 840 years and he had other sons and daughters. And Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and he had other sons and daughters and he lived 895 years. And Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and all the days of Jared were 962 years. Uh, going down to Lamech. Lamech, or Methuselah, lived after he fathered Lamech, 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. And then Lamech, and Lamech lived after he fathered Noah, 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years. These are long lifespans, aren't they? Why? Why are they so long? Did this really happen? I think earth was pure at a level you and I cannot even imagine today. That with sin came a fracturing of the very fabric of the universe. And we're seeing more and more fracturing of the universe. they'll be going to entropy, just the change and the degrading of life. I think Adam's DNA was unbelievably pure at a level that we can't regain, right? Until we get new bodies. So DNA, perfect. The magnetic field, I don't know if you've ever studied this, but our magnetic field that surrounds the earth, it's been decaying logarithmically for, well, probably since the creation of earth. So if you go back in time, it was a stronger magnetic field. And if you know this, if you're a scientist, you know this, if you move through a magnetic field, what's created? Electricity right? That's what generators do. So you have humans living in a high magnetic field, moving through them. Here's what they found happens when you do that. Bacteria and viruses break down. So the diseases that were probably, that we have viruses that actually have attached themselves into our DNA and get sent off to our kids as well. All those things that cause problems and fracturing and lower lifespans and all that was gone. It's just a time of unbelievable beauty, and hell in God's good creation. The goodness was there more than the badness. Imagine for a moment, if Albert Einstein had lived to be 500 years old instead of 70, what would a genius like that have created? We wouldn't be worried about electric cars right now. We'd be teleporting around. That's what happened. Beethoven, if Beethoven was still alive today, what kind of music would we have? It certainly wouldn't be country music. He's so much better than that. Adam, brilliant mind. I don't think Adam was at all dumb. I think Adam was brilliant, off the chart genius. He wasn't out hunting, hunting and gathering, right? He's 130 years of age when he has a son. What a good parent he would be, don't you think? Like you would know things. Don't you get better and better as a parent? I've told my wife that she needs to write a book, how to raise your first like your fifth. Because you just get better as a parent. It's that simple. You take things a lot less seriously. I remember when Carissa, my first, was born. Wasn't a church guy at that point, just going to church. And we did not check her into the nursery till I think she was like five years old. We're like, no, I don't want her in there with those other sinners, man. We just, you know, you're really kind of protective and always like worried. And when you do check him in, it comes with a Torah. All right, if she does this or needs this, you have this and this, binky is for that. And she loves this blanket right here. And if she starts to cry, make sure and call us, right? Get this Torah that you send with them. And then when Gabrielle, my third, was born, she was in the nursery at week two. We just handed her to her. They're like, ah, what should we do? Ah, just, if she cries put her in the corner, she'll stop. Don't worry about her right? You just, because it changes. Imagine how good of parents they would have been back then. Just like, wow, amazing. There's all these ideas about a lost city of Atlantis or civilizations that that have disappeared. you wonder if the flood wiped out an Atlantis or some brilliant thing that did exist prior to the flood. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past These people, if you could live to be a thousand years of age, imagine what you would learn. Imagine what you would know. Imagine the things that you could accomplish. Like, wow, how good is that? So you notice long lives, but second thing to notice is this. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Verse 11, thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. Thus all the days of Mahalal were 895 years and he died. Verse 20, thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Methuselah, thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Lamech, all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. Great text for a funeral. Just read them like dead, like people die. That's what happens. Chapter five is a death march. That's what it is. Your heartbeat is a death beat. Every time it beats, it's one less beat you have. Have you heard of a death clock? It's a clock you can buy. You put in all this information, how old you are, your weight, all that kind of stuff, bad habits. Good habits, and it calculates how long you're going to live and then starts a countdown. Every day you look at it, one less day of life. <laughs> kind of morbid, huh? But maybe needed. We're going to die. Chapter five, death march. There's exactly 10 generations from Adam to Noah. It's possible there's a couple generations in there as well. The Hebrew has no word for grandson. So when Jacob blesses Joseph's sons, his grandsons, they are literally his sons in the Hebrew. So it's possible there's some other generations in there. No one knows for sure, but these are the 10 that are mentioned. And this is God saying, look, Adam, I warned you. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, death's coming. This is a gigantic, chapter five is a gigantic, I told you so a heartbroken father, I told you so. Death, death, death. But there's one exception, isn't there? Look at verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he retired and got his pension. Nope. (laughs) He fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What? A death march, and in the middle, there's this fascinating guy, Enoch, and he doesn't die. Why? He walked with God. So there are texts in the New Testament, Hebrews 11 talks about it, Jude talks about him, lifts him up as a preacher of righteousness. But to a Hebrew slave reading this, thousands of years ago, it was one thing, he walked with God and he was not. If you remember chapter three, after Adam and Eve sinned, it said, God came in the cool of the evening it appears that God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening, walking with them. Why? Here's the reason he was telling them what's good. See, Genesis 1, where God says over and over and over, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's preaching something to humans that God alone knows what's good. And that's why the one tree they're not supposed to eat of is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you can choose to say, I know better than God. I'm going to choose my own way. I'm going to decide what's good. I'm going to decide what's bad. Or I'm going to walk with God and I'm going to trust that God knows what's good and what's right. And he alone knows it. And when we decide we know better than God, I can decide what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. When we do that, we bring death and destruction every time. And this is a theme in Scripture. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, right? Lean not on your own understanding. Don't eat of that tree. Don't try to do it on your own. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You're constantly going back to God and you're saying, Jesus, Father, give me the good path. Direct my steps. Tell me what's good. Give me wisdom. It's often different than we'd ever expect. Jesus says, hey, everyone loves their buddies. That's easy. But I tell you, love your enemies. That's actually the good way, right? Right? Everyone wants to get vengeance. I'm telling you, don't do it that way because vengeance is mine. Turn the other cheek that there's a whole better way to live life. And when you don't, the mark is, remember at the end of chapter four, there was a bad dude named Lamech who brings in polygamy. He starts to gather in women like property, treating them like property, kills a man. And this is what he says, It's literally a song he sings. (laughs) He said, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech's is 77-fold. If people come after me to get back at the person I killed, I'll kill 77 of them. Just the world, when you and I decide what's right apart from God, becomes hyper-violent and destructive. 77-fold. It's why when Jesus is asked, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? What is Jesus's reply? 77 times. Why would Jesus say 77 from this story right here? The way that you guys decide, when you decide what's right and wrong, look out, you're going to destroy. Vengeance, craziness, catastrophe. Just look on Twitter, right? Or you can do it my way. And my kingdom is marked not by radical vengeance, by radical forgiveness, and it's the good way. We have a decision, all of us, every single day. Am I going to trust that God is the only way that, one that knows what's good and right, or am I gonna eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil on my own and make my own decisions apart from him, right? But there's hope in this chapter as well. Because these are long lives. Methuselah. 969 years. But you know what? We live longer. 969 years is just a chapter. No, it's not a chapter. It's just a page. No, it's not even a page in our life. It's a paragraph. No, it's not even a paragraph in our life. It's a word. No, it's not even a word in our life. It is a letter in our life. You know that? Because death for you and me today is no longer the executioner. Death is the gardener that these bodies are just seeds and they get planted into the ground and they produce something that is out of this world. You can't even compare it. It'd be like comparing a redwood seed to the redwood tree. It's unimaginably better. And this is what the New Testament says about that. It's 1 Corinthians. And speaking of the work of Jesus on our behalf, 1554, when the perishable, this body right here, puts on the imperishable, the mortal, this body that's gonna die, puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. Think about that statement right there. Death doesn't win anymore. Life wins. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death no longer reigns. Those long lives, just a letter in the book of a believer's life. How amazing is that? Well, how? How did Jesus swallow up death? I think there's a great picture of it in the book of Revelation. And Revelation, there's all kinds of ways to interpret it. To me, it's real simple. Revelation was written to people that were gonna go through 10 waves of persecution from the Roman government. And it's how do you, decide, how do you, do, how do you survive the death camps? That's what Revelation is. In chapter six, there's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They come running in. And it's everything that you and I are afraid of. Death, famine, disease, right? The plagues. each one of them, war, they all come in. All of us had these fears. Man, are we gonna be able to feed our kids in the future? Is the world imploding, right? Is war gonna come? Is China gonna attack? We all had these same four horsemen that wanna steal from us our joy and rob us. But the first horseman, it's a special one because it's literally the Antichrist. And he comes with a weapon, it's a bow. But Spurgeon is the guy that, first guy heard this from. He said, notice something about that guy. There's all kinds of details about him. He's got a bow, but guess what he's missing? He has no arrows. Where are his arrows? Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman is gonna crush your head, but you are gonna bruise his heel. How does a serpent bruise someone's heel? By biting them. That the venom of the enemy, that's used the weapon he has, the arrows that he has, all of them were shot into Jesus. The venom was poured into Jesus on the cross. He absorbed what you and I deserve. He took it so that now there's nothing for us to be afraid of anymore. Oh, death, where's your sting? Jesus took it all, all the arrows are gone. Imagine that, imagine if you went home today and there's someone in your house and they're small, five foot two, and they've got a gun, but you know, the gun's not loaded. Are you worried? Probably not anymore, right? Listen, we don't have to worry anymore. Jesus took all that you and I deserved. It's missing, it's missing its power that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, that we get victory through him, that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love and power and soundness of mind because there is no arrow anymore for us. Praise be to Jesus. That the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, Colossians two they've been all nailed to the cross, paid in full. He's got nothing on you. Death is gone. And here's the best part about this chapter to me. The good news is in this chapter, So someone did this one time, I did not do it. They looked at all 10 names. And in the Hebrew, names have meanings, right? Jacob is heel snatcher, Isaac is laughter. So names always have meaning. So they took the 10 names and they looked at what these 10 names mean. And then they figured out, man, that says something, doesn't? So the names are Adam, Seth, Enoch, Kenan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. If you make a sentence out of that, here's what that sentence says. Man, appointed mortal. We're gonna die now. Sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing comfort. How incredible is that? Genesis five, the gospel message right there. That's unbelievable, and people say the Bible's not spectacular. The Bible's unparalleled, unbelievable. I want to notice, I want you to notice one final thing before we go. All these guys that says had Seth, and then they had other sons and daughters, right? And then he, Seth had. Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters, right? Enosh had Kenan, and he had other sons and daughters. Where are their names? Why are their names forgotten? You want your name to be remembered? Preach the gospel. Why are those names in? Because these names preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want your name remembered? Keep sharing the good news of Jesus. Keep turning the other cheek. Keep not seeking vengeance, but forgiveness. That's how your name is remembered. Preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that the sting of death that I deserve, he took on my part. And you can come freely and become part of his family and have that same sting removed from your life. Man, there's no better good news. Jesus, thank you for this chapter. Thank you for the good news that death no longer reigns. That you took the sting, removed the victory of death and turned it into life. I pray that every person in here would know foundationally that this life is a vapor And one day, real life begins, that this life is called mortality. This life is literally called death. But the coming one is called eternal life. I pray as we go, we would be a people who proclaim that good news. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.